live chat. It is the first. It's the first of the month. Cash your checks and get up here on February of 2024. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. As you know, we go for about an hour with free questions on a thread I put up the day before. Y'all fill it up and then we go to any kind of paid question, which you're under no obligation to submit to. But if you want to, you can do that. Put a donation in, in the live chat and then we'll get to your question uh, closer to the end. Someone has suggested to me, believe it or not, that I do a live chat that is entirely uh, from the native YouTube chat where you guys, the, the chat is 100%, um, you guys contributing and paying, which, you know, when someone first suggested it to me, I was like, I'm not sure how I feel about that. But if there is a, if there's interest in that, we can try, um, or not. I tend to, well, I don't know how you feel. So if you guys like it this way, where it's partly free and then partly paid, and then you can just enjoy that the right way, that's the best method for you. Then we can keep it that way. We can potentially add another one. Folks have been asking now that February is here. We're not doing MK. Should we expect a bump in stuff on your YouTube channel? Yes, you should. Yes, you should. So there's lots of ways we can skin this cat. Let me know. You can either leave a comment. You can email me, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. Or, I don't know, just find some way to tell me. Either way, you can become a member. All kinds of fun stuff. And if you do, you can contribute to the chat for free no matter what. All right? Very good. Very good. Uh, thank you guys so much for watching. I greatly appreciate it. Without further ado, let's get this party started, shall we? There we are. All right, let me take this off. Uh, Othello is not here yet. He is on another call. He will be here shortly, he tells me. So that should be good. Let me see if there's any other message from him before we get going. Uh, okay. No, nothing else. All right, that's it. Um, so thank you for joining me. I do want to make one note, if I may, if I may. Um, I did see some consternation about some of the topics that are covered here on this chat from some folks, which is understandable. Not everyone is going to love everything you do or every episode or even anything you do. That There's going to be a range of people with a range of opinions or different different ways in which they will rate their experience in dealing with you. And you have to understand that. And I do. But one thing I always want to remind folks is while I do have editorial latitude to go in different directions, in general, y'all are the ones that drive the topics. <laughs> like I've, I've seen people complaining, like, why do you keep talking about Gaza guys? I keep getting asked about it. Um, if, if I don't get asked about it, then it won't really come up. And I, I get that some people will like that and some people won't. And then sometimes I don't want to get too into like, you know, hey, how is this kind of thing going on in the world? And I'm like, let's just leave that alone. And then sometimes I don't. Again, I do have some discretion about that. But I just want to be clear, in general, with, with, with you know, with some exception, but in general, I am not the one who defines what the topics are. These are very much driven by y'all. And so I'm a little bit like, I'm not, I, I'm really, I'm never sure what to do with that criticism, uh, to be honest with you. I, I mean, I guess... I could just narrow the constraints of what um, we talk about. I don't, I don't know. I don't really want to do that. That's not a thing that I'm interested in doing. Also, the other thing I get is like, uh, oh, we're going to get, uh, you know, you know what? I'll leave the second part alone. Let's just leave it there. So my recommendation is if you don't want me to talk about those topics, either find something else that you do like, maybe just mute when I'm talking about it. Maybe this chat's not for you. I don't know. But... In general, I try to give some 
not all the time, but in general, I try to give some air to a wide diversity of questions that come from y'all or a wide diversity of topics anyway, that come from y'all. Um, and sometimes there's not, they're not heavily diverse. Sometimes they're all about the same stuff. Anyway, I hope, I hope most people understand that is really about the whole the one thing I would like to drive home. All right. All right. Very good. With that in mind, let's get this party started, shall we? So let's get to these questions and we'll do it this way. Boom. There's old Vivek. Vivek, right away. I got to say, you know what's interesting to me about Vivek is a lot of times, and obviously this is a new era of what political candidacy means or what people are using it for. This is true, no matter the party. A lot of times it used to be the case that if you just got whooped in the primaries, Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, I mean, they, they didn't make it really past Iowa. Um, people would just go away. Like you would never hear from them again. Or if they were a senator, they would just go back to the hill or something like that. Boy, Vivek pivoted. I got to say, kind of like you can see the guy hustles. He pivoted right away from candidate that went nowhere. He had a bit of a moment in August, which tends to happen in certain ways for like outlier candidates. And then pivoted right away to, I mean, I know he's done the podcast before, but like he didn't waste any time getting right back on it, so to speak, keeping it alive anyway. So he pivoted pretty quickly. Kind of interesting. I mean, I don't really, I wouldn't vote for him personally, but uh, something to pay attention to. Uh, although his interview, I, I did not watch the entire thing. So let me just say that there might have been certain points of value in other places that I am not aware of. But as it pertains to the fight or pay conversation, it was not an informative conversation, you know. And I think partly I think Vivek was confused, especially when he was talking about permanent enterprise value. He seemed to think that they would get like permanent spots the fighters who get pay-per-view points it was almost like a permanent status rather than it's just a function of the title or, um, you know, a very specific moment in a contract, not like a permanent sort of club that you get invited to. Uh, not informative. Like, if you didn't know much about fighter pay and then you listen to that, you're not going to get great information. For the rest of the interview, I cannot say. I didn't hear it. But on that level, not helpful. Not helpful. All right. Let's do this one. Uh, does Luke still train at Beta Academy in DC? I know what everyone's going to say. It's a funny name for a gym. It is. Uh, it's an acronym. It's, I think it's like body efficient tactical arts, something like that. Uh, it's run by a Pedro Sauer black belt named Nakapon. His last name is uh, almost impossible to pronounce. I could not do it. He is, he is Thai, although he's you know, obviously fully American. Uh, it's a great school. I trained there up until I think 2017, 2018. I have not trained there since, so it's been quite some time. However, even after this podcast, I'm meeting a friend who is a, got his black belt there. Uh, it's, his, it's his birthday. We're going to meet actually not far from the school. Um, so... So yeah, uh, so I did train there for some time. I have not in some time. Um, they were at one point, as many schools in the area were, a Lloyd Irvin affiliate. And then when the Lloyd Irvin rape scandal happened, they split out. And uh, yeah, Nakapon went his own way. So I know Nakapon real well. I know lots of the folks. Luis is another black belt who trains there. Kelly is another black belt who trains there. Kelly actually opened up his own other school called Vortex Jiu-Jitsu. If you can get a chance to train with him, you should do that. But folks often ask me, like, hey, where should I pop in? for a training session if I'm in the city. There's a lot of places you can go, actually. Yamasaki has a couple of great places as well. There's another Yamasaki black belt who uh, does Estilo Jiu-Jitsu. He's actually from uh, Venezuela. Yeah, I believe he's from Venezuela. Um, and he has a great school up on George Avenue Northwest. Uh, Beta Academy is on 14th Street Northwest. 
Um, I would say, where is that? That is north of U Street, basically. So yeah, I don't, I, haven't, I don't train there anymore and haven't for some time. But my wife and I trained there for um, several years. All right. All right. Is the fact that Jim Miller uh, is a millionaire after 43 UFC fights even remotely worth bragging about if you're Dana White? What's funny about this is... um. This is not the first time he's done this. This was, There was a controversy. I can't even keep track of the dates anymore. I couldn't tell you. I think it was during the Fox deal. Maybe like the early stage Fox deal. So somewhere 2013-ish, 2014-ish, something like that. I definitely want to say pre-USADA. Not that that's relevant, but I'm just saying as a time marker. And I remember he, uh, Dana White, revisited this topic. Uh, or I should say visited it the first time. It was like, you know, um, he was bragging at the time about how many millionaires they had created. And I forget the exact figure, whatever it was. But then we asked him, well, how are you calculating who's a millionaire? Because if you think about it, it's like, oh, we let me just say, I, if I told you I made 10 millionaires, you'd be like, okay, that sounds impressive. Uh, how did you do it? And I could say, well, I gave him like, these contracts, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, are you saying they made a million a fight? Because they wouldn't have to make a million a fight to be a millionaire, right? Like you could make two $500,000 checks in a year and you would consider that or even, let's say, up it a little bit to take out taxes. You could say you could get two $750,000 checks. So you get you get a million five, right? Some of that goes to taxes. We would still be sub a million, but, you know, a little bit closer to that threshold. I think that would be an adequate definition. But at some point, if you stretch it out long enough, like, everybody gets a million dollars, right? Like, how much does someone making minimum wage, uh, how long does it take them to make a million dollars? You could just do the math. I don't know what it would be. Uh, off the top of my head, but you could do that. If you just change the time horizon, then you get to make the argument, like how many millionaires does McDonald's make? But they're not, of course, if they're paying minimum wage, they're not making millionaires. They're just making minimum wage. So there's a bit of a question about like what defines a millionaire in this case. But uh, he tried it previously, and I remember he used it specifically. I do remember this part with John Fitch. And then if you ask John Fitch, like, John Fitch, are you a millionaire? He's like, no, I am definitely not a millionaire. That is not a thing that happened at all. And then you look at some of the checks, and they were like, 170k, 250k, you know, and these get you these get you appreciably close, but it's like um, I made a million dollars. I saw one guy made a million dollars after like four years, five years, and of course you're not a millionaire at that point because you had to pay half of it in taxes and blah blah blah. Your manager gets some, your gym gets some, so it's just one of these ways where I mean he he wasn't doing the same thing here. Dana White wasn't. He wasn't saying, "Hey, we've made a bunch of millionaires. Let me repeat the same talking point." But it's sort of he he condensed it to the career of Jim Miller, and it's like, you know, if you're doing it for through 43 fights, and I think he'd be, he's made closer to two million in that way. There is an argument to be made that, um, hey, if someone was ranked this way and had similar-ish losses, because remember he did headline I think UFC on Fox three against Nate Diaz, and that's where he bit the tongue on the guillotine. He did have some big fights. He did headline. Um, some contests, you can make an argument perhaps that someone of his level may not necessarily have made as much in boxing. I think it's actually not as easy an argument to make, but it could be done, right? It, you could. There are ways to say the pay structure in some ways benefits someone of Jim Miller's level who is not a championship level fighter, has incredible longevity, has fought good fighters for a, a number of times, lost some, won some, um, but, you know, he's such a technical fighter and has taken care of himself that he has had this incredible longevity. You could make the argument that the pay structure, uh, someone of his profile, 
might be able to take advantage of the pay structure more than other folks, either in boxing or even other folks in the UFC. That He actually kind of holds a bit of a sweet spot in that regard. Um, I don't think that's a crazy argument to make. I think there are there is some legitimacy to it, um, especially like someone like Chris Lytle, right, who did not get necessarily paid a lot of money, did not really ascend to the very top of any respective division he was in, but was just a bonus machine, right? A, a Joe Lozano, another bonus machine. And these guys really put their bonus money to really effective use and investment. There is something to be said for that that you really should not look past. But of course, the argument totally goes away if you're just being like, okay, right, but what if they got half of the money from the $1.5 billion of the last ESPN television deal? Most of these arguments fall to pieces after that. It's like if you're in any kind of world where there is an equitable split between talent and ownership slash management, um, even if you wanted to make an argument that Miller, sort of his profile, enables him to be at the kind of the center of a Venn diagram of a few places where it's easier to make a little bit more money, uh, given, give, again, given the rank, given the win-loss record, given what he's achieved, um, all of that would still be blown to, blown up if they got they were able to have their own sponsors, if they were able to get half of the revenue from any of the advertising partners that the UFC brings in, or if The Rock paid them a dime, which he does not. The Rock's shoe company pays them nothing. They get absolutely nothing for wearing any of that. Good job, Rock. Way to look out for the fighters. Um, or the ESPN deal, if they got half of that. That would, I mean, the it, this would be such a dramatic change to the amount of money that they make that, like, even sort of trying to carve out a spot for Jim Miller's unique earnings potential would still be, you know, tripled, quadrupled in terms of the amount of money that he would make. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I just don't understand, you know, I'm not saying you guys are doing it. In fact, that's not what's happening here at all. Let me plug my phone in here. But what I am going to say is it's like, How many different ways does this need to be explained before the evidence becomes convincing? There was a boxing monopoly in New York in the 40s, or late 40s, early 50s that was broken up by the U.S. government for antitrust concerns. And the very specific charges that they made about the boxing promoters, this was an international, uh, IBC, International Boxing Club of New York, they got broken up there. The very specific claims that the government made to break them up are are as like illegality or in, in the case of illegality as related to antitrust violations. I'm not saying the U.S. Is, I'm not saying the UFC is breaking any laws per se. What I am saying is they operate with those things not being held against them. They do the exact same things Um or virtually all of the exact same things, and people just think that, like, oh, they've got this promotional magic. They are good promoters. Like, we're not in any way suggesting that they are not. They are talented, determined, aggressive, hard-nosed promoters. They Those kinds of people tend to do well in the space. I, there's no doubt in my mind they would have done well, frankly, no matter what. But the point I'm trying to make here is it is really weird to read something from the late 40s, early 50s about a monopoly in fight sports being broken up and the very charges that they make are exactly how the UFC business runs. People are going to find 
any number of ways to like reframe the story. What if we looked at it this way? What if there was this way to talk about it? How about this point? And all of it is just fucking bullshit. It's just nonsense. It's just nonsense. There is no argument that the pay is equitable. There is no argument. There's none of this. There's there. It's not possible to make. You cannot do it. You can, you can, can, you can conceal certain facts. You can present other ones. You can try to prey on people who are like low information about this and that will work, but you can't actually convince people who uh, have enough information to look at the situation more broadly. It is so nakedly obvious that the whole thing is they're underpaid uh, by virtue of the way their the industry is structured. The last thing I'd say on this, not related to fighter pay, put that aside for just a moment. Did you guys see Dustin Poirier today? So Dustin Poirier, if you guys missed it today, uh, takes to Twitter and is like, yeah, my fight is off, but I'm still training. It turns out from additional reporting this uh, from Benoit, or that, that Benoit St. Denis, remember he was supposed to fight Dustin, I think co-main event for UFC 299. Benoit St. Denis is hoping to stay on the card. It turns out the fight was never signed. It was never signed. There was no contractual agreement to it at all. So now it's off. Guys, there's a word for when you sell tickets and then advertise a fight. And that fight doesn't just fall through from natural circumstances. It falls through because it had never been actually confirmed. There's a word for that practice. What is it? Uh... Look, if you could get three questions answered truthfully by Dana, what would they be, man? I got, I get this one a fair amount. I'm really not sure how to answer that one. Um, but I've, I've, I've answered this one previously in this way. Like, would you say that the UFC is a monopoly? Um, I don't know. I don't even at three. I don't even know. Um, I, I, I really don't even know how to answer that question. I don't even, I mean, because we're injecting truth serum into him, you know, some kind of like, I don't, I don't even know how I would, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think this through. So that'd be one. Do you think it's a monopoly Two. Have you ever used coercive methods to get fighters to sign contracts? Again, you're getting like unbridled truth, right? And three, did you ever tank in the purchase of other entities other promotions did you purposely tank them so as to remove fighter choice in the marketplace these are things that the trial uh, in april is trying to assess like for example did you guys know that when they bought pride they purposely didn't do due, due diligence about it uh, about any of their assets or any of their numbers and and then they have inter internal correspondence that they did it on purpose that they there was no real um that they didn't want to look for it and that that was done so that it could go out of business, like purposely buying it to shut it down. That's if you're looking at antitrust violations and there's a firm in the market that is, you know, at least alleged to have done that. And now you have some reasonable basis of proof for that. Excuse me. Yeah, that's that's illegal, brother. That's illegal. That's 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 on the line. So I'd ask basically those questions along those lines. I don't know what else there would be value in doing. Um, people would probably want to know, like personal shit, but I don't really care about any of that. Favorite subreddit. That's a good question. Favorite subreddit. I don't read Reddit a lot. Right now. Okay. So how about right now? I mean, I have, uh, 
I've seen many subreddits. Um, sometimes they have positive things to say about me. Many times they don't. Um, sometimes with good reason, sometimes not. Uh, in terms of having fun on a subreddit, I, I, have, I would honestly say these days, I mostly spend time, to the extent I spend any time on Reddit, would probably be the boxing subreddit. Like, literally, like, r-boxing, whatever whatever the proper nomenclature is. It's the, the boxing one, obviously. Um, that one's pretty good. You get a lot of good history on there, too. Uh, boxing fans, I can, I can tell you, are very hard to please. Very hard to please, uh, which you can understand to some extent. But... Um, it's actually a pretty good subreddit. I actually like it a lot. And there's, you know, there's there's a few dudes on there who don't care for me, which is fine. Totally their prerogative. But uh, I actually like it. I feel like there's a pretty smart community there. It's reasonably well updated. It's informative for somebody like me. Um, yeah, it's good. Uh, I don't read the MMA subreddits hardly at all anymore. Um, obviously, <laughs> I'm aware of the Fighter and the Kids subreddit. I haven't read that one in quite some time. Um, I'm trying to think of some other ones. No, I don't. Again, I don't. Oh, I've seen stuff like, uh, like science ones, or you know, stuff that gets plucked out and then put on Twitter because it's like some guy is, you know, I want to marry my uh, my cousin, but my family is against it, and, I'm, and then someone's like, look at this reaction. I've seen stuff like that, but other than that, not really. No, I don't. I don't spend too much time on Reddit. Obviously, there's an MK Reddit, um, but. I think it's actually healthier if I don't pay attention to that. Even if people have nothing but nice things to say, which, again, they don't always do. But even if they did, I kind of feel like there should be some distance between the hosts of something and then the people who are you know, running these forums. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I've always kind of felt that way. I guess we'll see. Uh, have you considered just going solo with reactions on Sundays, pre-recorded breakdowns on Tuesdays, and live chats on Thursdays? Work-life balance over constant hustle might be what the doctor ordered. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't know if I want to do it on Sundays because having to work Saturdays too kind of, well, you end up working Sundays no matter what, but in order to, get, so for example, like, okay, so let's just do the math on this. When I do the um, the breakdowns, typically on Monday, the last one I, I did, it didn't come out till the following Tuesday, but you're, let's say you're up until two or three, typically three, sometimes four, Saturday morning till 4 a.m., then I have to get up and, you know, work with my kids. So I'm usually up by, my wife will let me sleep a little bit, but I'm usually up by nine. So that's, you know, you're not running on all the all the time there. And it's like, you have, you have to actually ask yourself a question about how much time you're going to devote to your family that day versus how much you're going to work. And these are not easy trade-offs, especially if you have to go back to work on Monday thereafter for MK. So uh, I usually have to spend that time looking at fight footage or blah, blah, blah. I could stay up till six and get a lot of that done, but I would still be I'll have to record more in the morning. So... I am trying to find a regular rotation that makes this work. I would like to get stuff out by Sunday. That's usually pretty hard to do unless the fights are short. When the fights are five rounds, it's very difficult for me to do. But if they're like two rounds, it's actually a little bit more doable. But at a bare minimum, I'm getting things up on Monday. You miss a lot of windows. You miss London time Saturday. You miss, excuse me, you miss London time Sunday afternoon. You miss all of, uh, if you don't get it up early enough on Monday, you also miss that and then a bunch of other time zones as well. I still want to keep that. I think... I guess we'll see how things go, um, but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna start tuning things up here a little bit. Um, a lot more free time to do it, especially this month, and also I think going forward as well. And some of the stuff that we're cooking up, one of the things that I think we're gonna get is just more free time in general um, to do these kinds of things. 
So stay tuned. Stay tuned. I don't know what either of these questions. Uh, is this a low point for American mixed martial artists? I don't know what you're referring to. So it's hard for me to answer that question. So we'll go to the next one. What is going on with James Krause? That story got buried. Did he get off the story? Is far more interesting than Yacht Got Jim. Uh, there is no update that I'm aware of. If Upon the completion of any investigation or subsequent charges, there would be... I could be wrong about this, but I'm imagining that there would be some kind of notification to the media. They're not just going to let this go. So this is still an open case, uh, is the best that I'm aware of it. So there is no resolution. People want to be a resolution. There isn't. As for why there isn't, I could not possibly tell you. But there is no resolution to this yet. By the way, speaking of James Krause, I have seen his DVDs. His, they call it DVDs. I have seen his tutorial on cage wrestling. It's very good. It's actually very good. There's a lot of good information in there. But I, I'm almost done. I got one more section left. There's four sections to it. I finished section one, two, three of Craig Jones's wall wrestling uh, tutorial. It's the best one I've ever seen. Mike Brown also has one. Mike Brown's is good. It's a by the way, this doesn't this is not a reflection on them as a coach or a fighter. We're just talking about how good the tutorial is. Sorry. How good the tutorial is. Mike Brown's is good. James Krause's is very good. Craig Jones's is like next level good. Like, it's called balls to the wall. Uh, strongly recommend it. If you're looking to get some details on, especially if you actually fight and compete, really, really good details about what are the key concepts in play? What are the objectives of each position? How do we achieve that? How do we reverse engineer defense out of these situations? And on and on and on and on. Couldn't recommend it more. Best one I've seen. Uh, how can UFC sell tickets for a fight which is not official? Isn't that illegal? And then you're asking here, how much of a fumble is it that UFC dropped the ball on the contract terms for the Dustin Poirier versus BSD fight? We don't have enough details yet for me to tell you exactly what went wrong. Again, it appears to be on the Poirier side, and they couldn't come to a contractual agreement. There, there has to, The UFC is not going to go out there and uh, expressly break a law. I mean, they might run into trouble accidentally like any other organization might, but I'm going to guess that there's contractual language in any kind of ticket purchase about all of these things being subject to change and they, they might be changed due to promoter whim. There's going to be some kind of legal delineation there that uh, you're going to say or that, that, that the law provides that allows them to uh, announce a fight before it is official. There might be some verbal agreements or something, some some kind of basis upon which they feel comfortable enough to go forward, although we don't even really know what that is. But there's probably going to be wiggle room in any kind of terms of service that allows the promoter to say, hey, this fell apart before we had a chance to, you know, this fell apart in a way that is covered by any kind of terms of service agreement. The point I would make, though, is it just seems... Whether or not there is a legal wiggle room, and I, again, I've not known the UFC to expressly break laws in that way. What they're being sued for in antitrust would be a violation of certain uh, laws, but not in the criminal sense that you typically understand it. In that sense, I, you know, they, they are they are an above board promotion. I'm not. Some promotions are just straight up break fucking laws. I don't think that they are that kind of promotion. They have way too much to lose to engage in conduct like that. But they are clever enough to probably define terms of service in a way that this is covered. But I would just ask you personally, 
how do you feel about it if you purchase tickets, especially to see this fight, because that was perhaps the linchpin for you to watch it. And then now this, you find out that not only is it not happening, it was never happening on this one, at least not in any kind of confirmed way. Like, again, what do you call that? There's a word for that. What do you call that? Right? Dishonest is one thing. I'm thinking of a different word. Um, it just seems, it just seems you wouldn't do that unless you felt like you had the audience in the palm of your hand, right? You would never, you would, I mean, could, could like, can you imagine the blowback? Um, you guys didn't know Bjorn Rebney, or maybe some of you did, but t- the, the blowback to him would have been significant. Scott Coker's gone, but you know, if he had done this in Bellator, especially for like one that maybe you cared about, like, I mean, you might be like, oh, I would never watch Bellator, but let's say that they had one that you really actually were like, oh, okay, I'll watch this one. And then they announced it. God damn, I got some hair on my face. They're selling tickets. And then it turns out like there was nothing there actually confirmed to move forward. What, I, can you imagine the amount of shit he would have to eat if he did something like that? If, if Chatri did something like that, he probably has on some level, but uh, you see what I mean? There would be enormous blowback. People often ask me, hey, what's in it for the consumer if there were to be changes in the industry? And sometimes the answer is, that I don't know that there's always going to be good things for the consumer. Maybe some of these changes aren't really for them. But it it, it does, it, it should be noted, you can only really get away with behavior like this if, one, you do have a strong bond with your audience. And I don't think that we should really look past that. They do. The UFC has a very, very strong, consistent bond with their audience, but you can also only get away with this if you're the only game in town <laughs> because there's no real way to boycott this. Can you imagine if De La Hoya did this? Hey, we got, we're selling tickets to Ryan Garcia versus uh Roly Romero. We're selling fucking tickets there. Oh, you can go and get them right now. And it's actually not signed. I know this wasn't the main, that would be like a main event. And this was, this was a co-main. Nevertheless, they put out a social graphic for it. They put out a date on it, you know, like, and then they put a link to tickets in the tweet. Uh, uh, Andy Hickey, I think, put it out just before the show here. You can see that on his thing. What do you call that? What do you call that? Um, this is what I mean about some of the pernicious effects of Monopoly. You can see it in any number of ways. They would, dude, boxing would fucking put De La Hoya's head on a fucking the top of a, uh, you know, a spear and then post it in the town center. If he did something like that, you know, you just, it's unfathomable, but what are you going to do? You're going to protest. Oh, I'm not going to support UFC anymore. Well, that basically means you're not going to watch MMA. I mean, that's, that's sort of what that means. Talked about it before. It's like, I'm going to protest Delta. Are you, is that what you're going to do? You're going to protest Delta. Well, I guess you're going to be fucking taking Greyhound. You know what I mean? Like you're not, you're not, you're not protesting shit. You don't have a choice. Um, and granted, Delta's not the only game in town, but there has been such a dude. I'm old enough. How about this one? Here's how fucking old I am. When I was a kid, I took flights on Pan Am. That's a true story. I took a flight from New York to London on Pan Am. Um, but now there is, and did you see Spirit and Frontier were trying to merge? They're just trying to consolidate this industry as much as possible to reduce as much consumer choice as they can, right? We're living in an age of, of that in general across different sectors of the economy. Um, here's another one. You can only get away with that if you're the only game in town. No one else could get away with that. 
Uh, folks now asking as a follow-up to that, though, do you think he lands on 300? They could still work out a deal, by the way. He's still training. Uh, maybe not for Benoit Saint-Denis. I don't know. Could you do Dustin versus Colby? You could, seeing as they've talked about it in the past. I know you previously thought that was a bad fight for Dustin. Yeah, I don't love it. But any chance you feel differently given Colby's last performance, acknowledging Dustin himself is also coming off of a bad loss? Um, you could. You could do that. I would not love that. Um, I, I, did, I saw an unconfirmed... Listen to the words I'm saying. I saw an unconfirmed report. It seemed like bullshit because I didn't see anybody else corroborate it. That they're looking, the UFC is looking for Shavkat versus Colby for a different show. But again, this was very much uncorroborated. But it does seem to me like that's the fight to make. I don't know if Colby takes that. I don't know if the UFC has any designs on it. But that's that, that is that fight makes the most sense. I think of of many you could make at welterweight. Um, for Dustin, it is a bit of a logjam. Maybe he could get he could wait a little bit a little longer and get um, the winner of or the loser anyway of Saryukian versus Oliveira. Um, dude, maybe this brings back Nate. Would you guys? This is a question for you guys. And 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 if uh, if Ant is in the chat, this is a good poll to put up. At this stage, given where we are now, given where we are now, would you take Nate Diaz versus Dustin Poirier as an acceptable UFC 300 main event? Would that be an acceptable main event to you? Yes or no? Would love to know what the folks think about that. Would love to know. Um, something to consider there. So someone's, this is a difficult question, but here you go. Can you talk about fighter contracts and what it means with DP saying that he and the UFC couldn't come to terms? Aren't those set out in contract terms? What can or can't be negotiated when you're already under contract? Well, it depends. So a lot of times what it could mean is um, he might want more money to do five rounds uh, and then to have a stipulation added to about agreement. You write that there are certain things that are defined that if you win, you get X amount. If you lose, you get X amount and that it builds over time or it can decline over time depending on how the performance goes. I do not know the specifics of this one. I should text Dustin. I haven't done it yet. I do not know the specifics of his situation. A lot of times what it could be is uh, for placement on the card, again, for pot potentially for points, although that's usually not how they're not very successful. The biggest one is when the UFC wants a renewal. They want you to sign a brand new deal. You might still have another fight on the contract, right? So let's say you sign a four-fight deal, your three fights in, UFC wants to keep you, uh, and they offer you a deal, and like they're like, hey, we want this to be the first one. Like, in order to get this next deal, we want you to accept degree to these terms and blah, 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 and you're like, well, I'll sign a new deal, but not under these ones. So what he might be trying to do is fight out his contract to see if he can get better terms. It, it, typically, it involves um, some kind of an additional... Uh, set of uh, you know a new agreement overall, not not so much. Hey, can we change the terms of the one we just agreed to? That that I'm not saying that's impossible, but that's typically not what it is. It's usually something uh, related to wanting more money, potentially card placement. This can get added to about agreement, or the UFC wants to get a new deal signed, and there is some conflict about making that happen. Let's see. Here we go. 
Luke, in regards uh, to Arnold Allen, we can agree that he has a premier talent. As we look at his recent losses, we know he shows up fight night, very well prepared with a style that manages risk and that controls the tempo and complexion of the fight. Okay. My question is, at what point do we look at his elite corner with Faraz Ahabi and wonder why mid-fight adjustments are not being made? I understand that even at the highest level, mid-fight adjustments are not necessarily a strong suit in MMA, but in this example, I am left puzzled. Well, the reality is you got mid-fight adjustments with GSP. You know, this idea that like Faraz is, I'm not suggesting you're saying that. I don't know exactly what you're implying. Maybe you're implying Faraz doesn't do mid-fight adjustments. He definitely does. He definitely does. Um, he's done them with, with many fighters, but I saw him do a whole career of it with GSP at times. Not just him, but others as well. Um, so I don't know what the answer would be. Sometimes the adjustments are harder to come by. Um, you know, again, I, I, it's not to say that a coach can't at certain intervals really improve someone's performance, but to the point you're raising, you're talking about the broad swath of his career at this point. I would say in general, in general, to the extent that he has experienced losses or, um, if you consider that an inability to make meaningful adjustments quicker, I would pin that blame on him. I would pin that blame on him. And that's not me being like, oh, fuck that guy. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I find it less likely that Faraz is the one either not giving him good adjustments or not enough of them versus it's harder to pull off than you might imagine. He might not have quite the confidence. He, he tends to have late confidence surges. Sort of tells me that like some of that stuff might be able to come earlier, but he's not really willing to... Um, approach the fight in that way for whatever reason. That's an Arnold Allen issue. That's not a Faraz issue. I'm not I'm not saying that Faraz is above or any coach is above, hey, like, do they do a good enough job? Are there things we could point to? Blah, blah, blah. But um I tend to share your assessment of Arnold Allen. The guy is obviously exceptionally good. Like he's very, very good. Um but he's with a guy who has produced a champion before uh, or certainly helped guide a champion anyway. And uh, otherwise, I've heard a number of great things from other people who have trained with him, Ryan Hall, um, and, you know, many others as well. Uh, you know, I know that not everyone has worked out with him, but that's true of any coach. And in general, I, I feel like Faraz's fight knowledge is very high. I feel like Arnold has a way of approaching fights that minimize, again, I talked about this with Sean Strickland. He's a more of a of a of a clear case. But if you missed my video breaking down Sean Strickland's well, so I thought he won upon rewatch, but in real time the the loss he had to DDP. His style is a little bit interesting to me because he has made clear trade-offs for defense at the expense of his offense in really obvious ways, right? If you're backing up and you're cross-stepping and you're leaning back and you're putting your hands out, you just, you're not, I don't need to tell you that you're not in a position to have maximal offense. You can't. You're not balanced. You have no real way to generate power. You're moving backwards, which you can still do and generate power, but you have to plant and go. He's not planting. He is putting his head behind his hips. He is cross-stepping. He is, uh, he has made the trade-off for maximum distance maintenance and maximum mobility. That's the trade-off he made. So in terms of his defense, in terms of his mobility, in terms of his uh, mechanics, 
facilitating his defense. Man, he's got a really great system. Fucking guy's hard to hit. Fucking guy's hard to hit, hard to take down, hard to do anything to. He's got phenomenal defense. But it just seems to me, and I'm sure Eric Nixick has has tried to figure this out with him. Oh, his leg kicking defense, right? But I'm talking about the the with the opening. If you guys didn't see, he has a very narrow stance, and then he opens it to get his head back, and then he'll cross step on these retreats while leaning his head back. You just don't have offense there. It's not possible. And if you're spending a lot of time doing this, it's hard to get offense going. And the reason I bring this up is because people chase him. They try to, like, you see what DDP was doing. He was switching stances. He was doing any double jabbing, switching stances. Anything he could to find the target. It was very, very difficult. Well, dude, if you've got guys switching stances to get, I mean, multiple times, double jabbing their way in, they're just fucking chasing you at certain points. If you planted and you had a good timing and a good angle, I mean, you could knock him out with one shot, you know, but he has made the trade-off to go much more defensive to go back and start the cycle over again. And that's a trade-off that he makes. What I would say is, and what I argued in the video is, it is very good defense, but if I'm coming up short in some of these decisions against guys that aren't doing much to me in the end, but I'm also not doing much to them, there might be something to think about, like what are ways in which we can slightly tone down some of this defense in favor of creating a little bit more offense? How many retreat steps do we want to take before we then plant and fire? Things like that. And these are not easy things to solve. I don't present these to you like, oh, well, that's an easy thing to just figure out. He and his coaches and everybody else would have to work on that, and it would not be easy. I'm just trying to think, like, if you've made a trade-off that much, you're going to have problems potentially on the other end. Same with Arnold Allen. He makes these trade-offs to, like, control the tempo. A lot of these defensive guys do that, right? They control the tempo. They slow everything down. They try and frustrate. He'll, he'll, he'll plant and counter, obviously. You know, he's a very different style than Sean Strickland, but he manages risk in a way that limits his offense, I feel like. And then when he lets some of that go and he's really leaning into his offense, you're like, shit, where was this? I don't think that's a Faraz thing. I really don't. Uh, let's see here. Look, if Aljo beats Cater, and I think you mean to say Volk beats Ilya, is Aljo next for a title shot at 155 given his resume at Bantamweight? I don't think so. Or would they give it to a guy like Emmett, you think? Personally, I would be more curious to see Volk versus Aljo, but that's a personal preference. They might give it to... I mean, if Aljo goes in there and smokes him, maybe. You know? If he goes in there and does to him what, what he did to Corey Sandhagen, possible. I get the feeling that the UFC doesn't love Aljo. I, um, I don't know if they hate him exactly, but I don't think they love him. And um, if they don't have to give him a title shot, they probably don't want to. So I don't I, I doubt that that would I doubt that they would do that. Also, um, let's see what happens with Max. Again, he might that Justin Gaethje fight might end up changing everything about him one way or the other. But um, it's something to pay attention to. I don't have the rankings in front of me. Um, if it's a close fight, they might give Ilya a rematch. I mean, there's lots of ways that you know they're going to find. Again, I think I think for Alger to get a title shot at 145, he'd have to have like an unimpeachable case. Beating Cater is a good one, but not unimpeachable. Oof, I locked my door. Thank God. Uh, here we go. 
Why is UFC brass so invested in making Jones Stipe despite the pushback and repeated schedule conflicts? I understand why Stipe and John want it, but the UFC doesn't stand to gain anything in the matchup that they can't get with either of them or both of them fighting Aspinall. Not so sure that's true. It appears the company desperately wants Jones to remain undefeated, but I can't recall the company ever being so invested in an athlete's record at the end of their career. They usually don't care at all in the end. It is a little bit surprising. My guess is they feel like up to this point, this is their best chance to maximize um, potential pay-per-view buys, right? Because there is that talking point, best ever heavyweight versus best ever light heavyweight, potentially best ever overall. And like they lock horns and then you can sell against that, even though that's just a talking point. There is certainly some question about like how real that is in terms of what these guys are at this stage. Also, they might have concerns that maybe Aspinall loses and they don't really want to, you know, have a situation where they had with GSP where he chokes out the champion and then just leaves. You had Robert Whitaker and waiting at that point, but it's not good for divisions for that to happen, you know, um, where someone just has the belt, wins it, holds it, and then just leaves it before they, there was anyone else has a challenge, a chance to challenge for it and take it from them. Uh, it could be that, but I, what I would say is, and, I'm, and I don't want to belabor this point because we've been over this topic a million times, but the thing I would just add there is they probably have some research to indicate that they would make more with the permutation of John and Stipe together. But the thing I have pointed out is the longer that we get between when they were supposed to fight and when they, when they inevitably will, I think some of that declines. On top of that, to the extent Aspinall keeps winning, and again, this is a big if, he may lose his next fight, I don't know. But if he ends up going there and, let's say, blows the doors off the winner of Curtis Blades and Jalton Almeida, if he goes in there and beats whoever the fuck on, whoever, and he's just, like, killing these guys, that that calculus really begins to get challenged at that point, especially if you're like, oh, my God, you got a heavyweight champion you can take to the United Kingdom? I mean, think about this. If Think about this. If Fury ends up beating Usyk and wins all the titles, right, or at that point would have all the titles, and... You could find a way to get Aspinall to be a champion. The UK simultaneously would have, they wouldn't have the lineal heavyweight champion because that's Francis, but they would have the widely recognized uh, lineal and all the belt guy holder in boxing, and they would have the most prestigious heavyweight champion in all of MMA, both guys at the same time. Like that is fucking crazy. That's crazy. So I feel like. When they made that calculation and the calculation they're continuing to make, it's based off of data that is probably still true, but like sands in the hourglass, as they say on the soap operas, soap opera, I don't know how much longer that's going to be true. We shall see. Again, why does UFC keep announcing unsigned fights? They had another one. It was, uh, what was it? It was the main event. Right, was main event. Vicente Luque taking on Sean Brady for the uh, Atlantic City card. Oops. This person writes, I think it's very disrespectful to us fans, especially the ones who already purchased their tickets. The UFC is basically baiting and switching their fans. It's not quite what they're doing, but yeah. I mean, I don't think they're intentionally doing it this way. I think it fell apart, and that's what you've ended up with. But again, would you tolerate this from Oscar De La Hoya? No, you wouldn't. Would you tolerate it from Al Heyman? No, you wouldn't. You mean to tell me you would tolerate this from Eddie Hearn? No, the fuck you wouldn't. Frank Warren? No, the fuck you wouldn't. Nobody would tolerate it. You would tolerate that from any other player in MMA? You don't think they'd be excoriated 
murdered, gutted like a fish online for it? Come on now. But what you going to do? Oh, I'm just going to not watch UFC? Okay. <laughs> Let me know how that goes. Yeah, they're, they, they have us. They have all of us. They have the entire world by the balls. Right? I hope everyone can see that. They can only do it because they have monopoly power. That's it. Uh, okay. Luke, how do you focus on things uh, which matter? What do you do daily to keep your focus? Thanks for the content. Um, I heard, uh, let me just say this. I have been doing a lot of deliberation over time, especially as I get older, about when you have a kid, it really begins to change how much free time you have. And so you have to get um, some sense there about like changing your habits and whatnot. But really, it's not even that. In an era, I've made this point separately when we're talking about like, you know, oh, you know, I let any idiot say whatever they want to me online. Like, like, like they're bragging, like they're very, like, this is a very strong thing to do. And it's like, dude, you let fucking morons take up your daily bandwidth. I, I cannot overstate to you if you really begin to understand that your attention is precious and more to the point that your ability to develop better ways in which to focus your attention is undermined in part by the social media algorithm and how they game it and how you're always looking for new responses and whatnot. There's partly that going on as well. But that when you really consider how precious it is and how minimal it is and how much it can be disrupted and abused and how much your attention can be pulled in certain ways intentionally and you have to have a certain amount of intention behind your own focus in order for it to be used properly, it really begins to change how you think about all of it and then what really matters to you. Listen, there is a moment, and it could be even every day, there's a moment for silliness, there's a moment for frivolity, there's a moment for anger, there's a moment for bitterness. There's a moment for the range of human emotions, like the entire economy of which they all have a place. But if you are not careful, if you are not careful, it, the algorithmic way in which we have now been subjected to the internet. And this is not just, I mean, with the internet is all encompassing. You have a fucking computer in your pocket now uh, in ways that is totally consuming. If you do not give proper attention, if you do not train your reading stamina, if you do not train yourself to take the appropriate amount of actual breaks that you need in order to facilitate thought. Like, have you ever, you ever noticed that when you take long walks sometimes, you can think more clearly? None of this is an accident. You're breaking away from these kinds of things that give your attention a healthy boost. And another thing I really want to point out to people is, I know a lot of folks, like, you know, they'll be on their phone in the middle of the night or they'll look at their phone right before they go to sleep. And um, this is so fucking bad for you. If you don't ever unplug, excuse me, yeah, there's a, a, a there's a there's a series of problems associated with that, not least of which is it's actually hard to plug back in, and so you end up living in this kind of middle state where you're just still under the subject of all of this algorithmic internet being thrown at you, occupying your attention at all times in all kinds of ways that are distracting, intended to distract, distract, not all that useful in terms of changing your worldview or anything else, or meaningfully informing you about anything that matters to you. Uh, you can never really get to a state where you're either all the way out or all the way in, and you're just kind of stuck in this middle in between. I don't know if you are expressly talking about this 
focusing ability. I don't know if you're actually talking about this or you're saying like what kind of news I read or something. Part of that is just my natural orientation. I don't suffer fools gladly and I don't suffer foolish topics all that gladly. I'm not the guy for that. Um, which isn't to say I've got the best ideas. These are just the ones that I have and the ones that I use. But however, however, I, I try to pay significantly now, and I'm not very good at it yet, by the way. I want to be clear about this. I haven't figured it out. But I have begun to pay significantly more attention in terms of being intentional with everything that I do. If it is time to take a break, it is time to take a break. If it is time to have a, a planned list in order to stay focused on task, then that is what I do. I try to unplug from the internet at the end of the day, working on a puzzle, reading a book, doing something with my daughter, blah, 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 in ways that allow me to better um, use whatever cognitive bandwidth I have to begin with to build things as I aforementioned, like my reading stamina. I, I used to read, dude, for hours at a time. I don't know if I could do that anymore without getting tired. You know, I don't, it's, it's hard to do. You have to build that up, especially if it's been degraded over time. And just reading Twitter all day does not count as reading stamina. Reading stamina is picking up a book and then seeing how long you can go through that before you reach for anything else. Um, but in terms of the topics of the world, um, it's just a general orientation. I don't have any, I don't have any particular, like, again, dude, I, 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 best way to explain it was the best way it was explained to me. Every day you wake up with 100 attention dollars and you can spend that attention dollar however you want. No one's going to tell you otherwise, unless you're, you know, living with your mom or something. You can spend that shit however you like, but are you, what are you buying with it? Really, at the end of the day, what are you buying with 100 attention dollars every single day? Are you actually buying with it anything that is meaningfully making you happier, more informed, changing your worldview, giving you good ideas, revenue generation? Is it doing any of these things or is it otherwise just absorbing whatever cognitive bandwidth you have in service to itself? You need to ask yourself those questions and they're not easy to fix, by the way. There's some of the solutions to come by. Thoughts on the commander hi, commanders hiring Dan Quinn? I don't know. I mean, they say he's well-liked in the league. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm not expecting the commanders to go to the Super Bowl anytime soon. Fucking Patrick Mahomes has been with what? The Chiefs six years? That motherfucker went to the Super Bowl in four of those years. And in the other two, he lost in what was the, the conference game in overtime. Conference championship in overtime. This is a level of achievement that is hard to fathom. I mean, I know that the then skins when I was a kid in the 90s were great. I understand. I remember the glory days of Mark Rippian and Art Monk and all these. Yeah, that shit is over. My current experience with them, that is unfathomable. I listened to a 17-week series of sports talk radio about every one of Sam Howell's games. I did 17 weeks of that shit. <laughs> like, the, to, to like wrap your fucking head around the idea that Patrick Mahomes has been to the Super Bowl four times in six years is fucking, it's just mind-blowing. It's, it's really hard to understand. I, I don't even know excellence like that at all in our sports teams. Like, I mean, obviously that's even crazy for, for uh, by elite NFL standards, but Jesus Christ, like, I, you know, I bring this up to say I have very modest hopes 
right? Very modest hopes. I just want them to not be awful. That would be great, you know. Um, this is an interesting question. Do you think these new modern MMA media will one day feel the career was hollow? I don't know. Like, by just promoting the fights and ignoring the heavy conversations, do you think they will feel less fulfilled as someone like yourself? Not necessarily, no. Who, at the very least, try to inform others and do something bigger than themselves. I'll tell you what, uh, no, I don't know that they will. They, they might be shallow. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not in any way suggesting that I know these people. But if they don't really give a shit about those topics, why the fuck would they care about not covering them? <laughs> Especially if you get, like a lot of attention and you get a lot of money for doing it. Like why the fuck would you care about not doing it? No, no, I don't think that they will. I, I suspect that they won't. Um, again, I can't speak for them. This is a better question for them, not me, you know, but no, no. Um, I don't present what I'm doing. I want to be very clear about this. I don't present what I'm doing to be virtuous. But there is a very good quote that you should think about when you do coverage like this or adversarial coverage to the extent that it is adversarial or, you know, the kind of coverage that won't garner the biggest audiences but actually has a ton of real-world value. And the quote, of course, is virtue is its own reward. I believe Aristotle came up with it. Virtue is its own reward. Um, sometimes, and in fact, many cases, uh, the very best kind of work you can do for the public um, not even as like a journalist, but just as a media member, like anything valuable to the public, the idea that like this is the thing that sells the most, that this is the thing that is financially rewarding, the thing that the idea that this is the thing that's going to create career longevity. I mean, that could they couldn't be further apart. They couldn't be further apart at all. You have to just care about the subject. You have to care about like why it living your values. It, you, have, you have to care about those things. But if you don't care about them, like, oh, at the end, when it's all, I mean, first of all, I think most of the people who are doing, you know, vapid coverage probably won't be in the sport that long. That's not totally true, but, you know, it, they're, they're, they'll go on to something else in all likelihood eventually. Um, that, that, that doesn't seem like an unreasonable conclusion. And in general, people don't live very long in MMA spaces anyway. Uh, but, you know, I, I would imagine that would be especially true on other cases. But... On the other hand, if it's financially rewarding, if they can generate big audiences and the audience doesn't give a shit that they don't cover it, why would they care? Um, they wouldn't. They wouldn't care at all. You just you just have to decide whether you care as the audience or you care as the content creator. Those things have to matter to you. And of course, if you do think it matters, you should argue why it matters. But you have to understand that there will be people who just don't agree. They don't think it matters. They're not going to bother themselves with it. They don't give a fuck. Like, it is what it is. Uh, I think the answer is pretty low, but you might get something at a post-fight press conference. The likelihood that media would ask about the Vince McMahon TKO scandal at the next UFC press conference and getting a detailed response from it. You might get some questions about the Vince thing. I think you'll probably get a lot of what the WWE did, which was just a lot of deflection. What the fuck are they going to say you know, to the public about that? What the fuck can you say about it? Not much. Uh, let me get a couple more in here, and then we'll get to some of these paid ones. Um, yeah. So here you go. During the podcast, Vivek, uh, obviously the Vivek Ramaswamy, Dana mentioned pay-per-view points for defending UFC champions. 
What about for fight nights? For example, Grasso defended her belt on uh, UFC Noche, right? How do champs get paid in that situation? They would get in all, unless there was some kind of addendum to their contract with a bout agreement of some kind that in the bout agreement, and this happens, this is not not altogether unheard of, uh, but they are, there are no pay-per-view points. How would they get paid? They get paid according to either their contract or their contract plus whatever the bout agreement did as a supplementary measure. And there's other ways actually they can get too, but those are that, that's basically the answer. The answer is they wouldn't. I mean, Demetrius Johnson did not get pay-per-view points as a champion. Fought on a lot of uh, fight nights. Fought on some pay-per-views as well. But um, yeah, you just you just don't get it. You don't get it. That's that. Uh, someone's asking gun to your head pick for Volk versus Taporia. It'd be Taporia. Uh, let's see anything else here of value. Oh, I will actually defend people here. Let me read this one to you. Do you believe the focus on, quote, what sells has taken away from the fans' ability to appreciate technical skill? It appears as though many of them have been trained to think heavy brawling and inane trash talk means a fighter is worth investing their time in and not the ones who approach combat in a more conservative, tame manner. If so, who is to blame? The fans themselves? Dana White for publicly emphasizing a preference for antics over aptitude? You know what? I'm actually going to defend the fans here a little bit. It is not realistic to expect people to know um, how fighting works unless... No, let me just stop there. It's not realistic. It's not realistic. It's not realistic for a couple of reasons. One... Most people do not grow, the vast majority, 99% of people or whatever it is, do not grow up boxing or wrestling or doing jiu-jitsu or whatever. This is a very narrow, and in terms of the population in general, this is a very narrow exception of people who do anything like that. And so expecting them to understand the nuances of this if they don't train is really quite silly. And by the way, those nuances don't necessarily drive pay-per-view sales anyway what drives pay-per-view sales are yes people do have a, a respect for like a high level person's ability particularly if it's around a, a, a one kind of skill set like habib and his wrestling something like that you know or connor and his and his big left hand but in general people will respond to the things that they know they'll respond to the things that they understand they'll respond to if someone has a similar nationality if someone has a similar kind of story as them if someone represents something that they care about if they're a charismatic speaker any of those things, if they if they have an exciting style, if Francis has big power, they can understand those things without a big barrier to entry. That's quite accessible in that way. I don't really think people should beat up fans for liking that kind of a stuff. I would obviously prefer it if there were more people who had. And uh, I think Corey Sandhagen had a quote on the MMA Hour yesterday that you know there's you could understand the fight game for its beauty and its drama. It's a lot easier to understand the drama than the beauty. That is true. That is just one hundred percent true. Uh, it takes a lot more work to understand the beauty. It is very, very difficult. It takes a lot of study over a long period of time. And even then, you're always kind of a student about it. Um, but what I would say is, um, I don't really beat up on the fans for like getting into the drama of things. I mean, there's certain kinds of drama that I think is stupid, you know. But as a general rule, beating up on fans for being like, oh, they got into the heated rivalry of it. Dude, that's a very natural thing. And to be honest, this is a conversation we've been having for a very long time. Now, when MMA was much smaller and the amount of people who watched or you know were in the community trained, 
right? You had a much higher incidence rate of that. Maybe it was a different conversation then. But basically for a long time, you know, certainly more than 15 years in my judgment and probably longer than that, fans have just always kind of gravitated to that side of things. They always will. It's what drives the biggest fights. The biggest paydays did not come because people really understood how Pacquiao was going to fight Mayweather or vice versa. It was because of the star power. That's what that's what ultimately moves the needle. So I don't think there's any problem with that. It's just up to you as a fan to, you know, I would say to always try to improve the ways in which you understand the fight and also for the media that they always have to have. Dude, I've done nothing but the last two days. <laughs> I have done nothing but study tape, like literally beginning to end of day, beginning of day to end of day, except for like a few things for my kid and going to the gym or whatever. I've been not doing nothing but studying tape. Uh, I feel like you have to, you know, uh, but all right, there you go. Let's, uh, let's see what you got on the paid stuff. If you don't want to do that, you don't have to, but if you did, let's, let's see what you got. All right, let's take a gander. All right, hold on. Let me get a sip of this. Hmm. How do Francis's athletic gifts compare to NFL freaks? Well, we're getting him in his mid to late 30s, so it's hard to say. But Dewey Cooper's answer when I asked him, could anybody else do what Francis is doing in boxing coming from MMA? And his answer was no. <laughs> his answer was no. Like, someone just showing up and being good at, at, at boxing is not in the cards for anybody else but Francis. I would say that he does have elite-level athleticism. Um, he does appear to be a freak in many kind of ways. I don't know if we have enough information to say it's on par, but you know, clearly among the heavyweights, he is beyond any other measurements. Just in terms of his athletic gifts, he is far ahead of virtually all of them. I, see, I did see this. Kevin Lee says he'll fight MMA again. Thoughts? You guys know I've always liked Kevin. I've always liked Kevin. Um, I think Kevin got married rel relatively recently. I know he converted to Islam. Maybe he's in a happier place. Listen, let's be honest. He looked really bad against um, uh, Fakretinov. Is that his name? Um, he looked real bad. He did not look great. He, looked, he could barely move. The fight didn't last very long. He's talking about going down to 155. Maybe that makes him more mobile. If if he can do it in a way where he's not getting any, you know, especially hurt because of any kind of limitation and it makes him happy, I hope that it does. I would say it that way. I hope that it does. Like the rest of you, I probably have some concerns about what exactly he's got to offer at this point. I don't think that's uh, necessarily unfair, but... I'm never going to be mad at a fighter for trying to make themselves happy, provided that they're not doing it at some kind of like gross physical expense. Like, you know, what Tony's doing worries me. If he's not, if Kevin's not doing something along those lines, I don't really seem to see the harm. You know, when Rashad wanted to come back and fight Sam Alvey, I didn't love it. But in the end, did anything really bad happen to him out of that? No, it didn't. Or not Sam Alvey. Whoever he came back and fought at like that Eagle FC card. I think Sam Alvey knocked him out. But I meant... You know, post-retirement, coming back for that Eagle FC card. Tim, thank you so much. Where's my shoes, says, Luke, thanks for having one of the few places in MMA where I'm not bombarded with homophobia and sexism simply because this person writes, I'm a lesbian. It means a lot. Yeah, I don't know how you do it, to be honest with you. I don't know how you do it. Um, they don't make a lot. They don't roll out the red carpet for you these days, do they? 
But uh, I do my best. Thank you. I appreciate that. Have you ever seen a fighter sneeze? Mid-fight. Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. People used to ask, like, how come you don't tickle during a fight? Yeah, because that shit doesn't work. You know, you're not wrestling a toddler. Uh, join MK Discord or Pound Sand. I believe Mikey and I talked about that yesterday. We have something cooking for that, I believe. Um, they made a request about wanting to do something with us. Uh, and internally, I think we're going to make that work. So let me circle back with Mikey. But we got, don't worry, that's going to happen. Again, thoughts on Kevin on, on retiring. Same kind of thing. Look, I recently watched MMA on points, the history of America and steroids, and have been going deep down the rabbit hole. Any recommendations? Again, I get this one all the time. Any recommendations to articles and books to help feed my curiosity? The one I always recommend, I don't have it on me. The Antidopey Crisis in Sport, Causes, Consequences, and Solutions. Two academics, Paul DeMio, he's Scottish, and then Werner Muller. Where does anti-doping come from? What are the circumstances that led to it? What are the institutions that drive it? How did they get created? Who created them? What were their stated purposes? What were the values that drove them? Or what ways are they succeeding? And what ways are they failing? And what are some more enlightened approaches that we could take to potentially governing the use of performance-enhancing drugs in sports? This will get you to that place. This will. Given the start of the chat, feel free to disregard. What's your take on what drives cognitive dissonance among... Okay, all right. I am going to disregard this. Only because um, I just don't feel like being divisive today as much as I usually am. But by the way, let me just say something. If you think that right-wing fans are the only ones with cognitive dissonance, boy, do I have bad news for you. I mean, they do, but uh, it is hardly exclusive to them. Hardly. If I was in charge of MMA, I'd reorganize the women's weight classes as follows. 108 to 115, 123 to 132 to heavyweight. Mm, I would go a little bit lower. And I would need to hear what the methodology, Josh, would be for why you want to go in these seven-pound increments or eight-pound increments. Although, I have to tell you that I don't mind that. This is something we talked about before. Should women's MMA go on 10-pound increments? Is that really the best way to do it? I don't know that it is. Um, but, of course, there's a certain kind of orderliness with having men and women, not just with the same weight classes for the same uh, you know, endpoints, but the same distance between them. There, it is a certain kind of, you know, uh, easy way to understand that. Um, I don't know if that's what's best for them, though, in terms of actually sorting the talent. The ICJ sucks. Free PS. Oh, free Palestine and cheers from Morocco. The International Court of uh, Justice. Well, they agreed that there was, I know this is going to set some people's hair on fire bringing this up, apparently. But they agree that there was at least a plausible case for genocide. I don't think it's a complete F them kind of thing, by the way. Any way we can cut back to commercials you run on here? I know you want the rev, but it's super annoying. Can't wait for the new MK. Um, 
I guess. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I I don't really, I'm not in charge of that actually. Someone else on the channel is in charge of that, but I can talk to them. So how about that? Sorry you feel that way. UNBC discussed martial arts movies this week. I recommend Kurosawa's Sanshiro Sugata 1 and 2, if you haven't seen them, about the rise of judo in Japan. Well, there you go. There's a great recommendation. I intend to... I've, I've seen a, a bunch of Kurosawa's films. I've never seen these two. Or that, anyway. Luke, can you shout out... Someone's called Lazy Bed in chat. It's his birthday. Yes, what's up, dude? Lazy Bed. Uh, can you explain to the people what criteria you use to evaluate whether a fighter is ducking a fight or not? Uh, well, partly it depends on what they say in the media. That's one thing. But really the issue is um, the first one I ever really encountered was Tito versus Chuck. I think they eventually fought at UFC 47 and you got what you got. But it was a case where, and that was that was actually, here's why what they said in the media was relevant. Because Tito was getting out there and being like, we were friends and we agreed to never fight. And Chuck was like, we never had that conversation. And then if Tito was refusing to fight him on top of making these comments that another guy's like that, we never, we never had that agreement. And he's the number one contender. You're like, right, something is off here. That was a pretty clear case. And they, they eventually fought, but he kind of got bullied into it. The case of Canelo with Benavidez is interesting because you could argue that when he made a declaration of 168, Benavidez, I think, still had um, a belt or two. And he would have been right in line to get those fights, but then he obviously lost his title on the scale and a bunch of other shit. So, um, you know, there there was an opportunity for them to fight at that point. But now it's getting, it's like, okay, but now it's still relevant. And now it's a much better and tougher fight. And it's a bigger, more lucrative fight than it once was. What's the argument for taking on a Charlo brother? I would look the other way if he ends up fighting Bud. But if, like, he, I'll say this, and he doesn't have to fight David Benavidez next either. But if we get to, like, you know, after Triple G, you're fighting three people not named David Benavidez, that would be a problem for me. That, at that point, you're like, what, who else is there? Um, what do the fans, like, is there a, who else is there? Is there a market for it, a.k.a. what do the fans want? Like, how big is it supposed to be? In boxing, could it be a mandatory? That would be something else to sort of consider. And in MMA, like, what are they saying publicly? Like, David Benavidez is never saying anything other than I want it. And Canelo is certainly a little bit more wish-washy about it. These kinds of things. And again, I sort of understand, again, if, if, if Canelo doesn't fight him next, I'm okay with that. But if he, like, waits until 2025, that to me would be a problem. I would be like, what are we doing here, fella? Um, what do you make of Biden's sanctions announcement announcement today on West Bank Israelis? What is the end game to this massacre and how do you stay sane? Well, I don't know that I stay sane, but the uh, sanctions are probably a very good thing. These are people who have uh, sanctions against people who have participated in some kind of violence against Palestinians in any kind of illegal way by virtue of their settlement or any other kind of behavior that they may have been involved in. They can't send money back home or money to anyone. They can't. They cannot be involved in the financial system of the United States. They couldn't visit. This sounds like a small thing, but it actually could have some pretty important ramifications. It's a small matter um, that is not with, I mean, I don't have any issue with it. It's a fine thing to do to, um, I mean, folks forget like the West Bank has been illegally occupied by the military since 1967. That's a real thing. That's not really up for debate. Um, so, you know, punishing people who are at the tip of that spear 
um, who are not involved with the government, obviously, is probably a good thing to do. But that doesn't really meaningfully address any of the bigger issues uh, involved at all. Again, I'm going to say it one more time. Like, what's the solution? The solution is at some point you have to reckon with the fact that the Palestinian people are entitled to statehood. And until you deal with that sovereignty, no one in the, in the region will know peace. Nobody. That's just, that's just what it's going to be. So just figure out what you want to do about it. Uh, do you think the UFC expects their commentators to undergo proper judging training? I ask because Dominic Cruz has been saying some wild things about how fights get judged lately. My understanding is they do try to facilitate them. They do try to have conversations with the stats guys. They do try to facilitate any kind of training or uh, otherwise encourage it. I don't get the sense that they demand it. Um, yeah, I wouldn't. I, yeah, I don't think there's much you can say about it beyond that. It does not appear to be a requirement, right? I do know that they actively kind of encourage it, but probably stop there. This is why I know some people like, this is why some people like, you know, I, I've said this before, dude, Laura Sanko, I'm going to say it one more time. Laura Sanko is the best color commentator that they have. And there's any number of good reasons why that's true. But certainly, even if you disagree with that, who else among their commentating crew, any of them, have done the steps that she has done in terms of going and getting specific training on judging courses, on referee courses, getting licensed to be a judge or a referee. I think a judge, she got a judge license in certain states, I think in, in, uh, uh, in her home state. Like, she's actually gone and done the work. No, like, to my, to my knowledge, none of the other commentators, who, by the way, they all have their strengths and weaknesses, but none of them have done that. Dude, just on homework alone, look at what she's doing. Um, there are other reasons why I think she's the best one that they have, but this is what I'm talking about, dude. No one had to tell her to do that. No one, no one had to like, like, hey, you really need to get your ass in gear and go take these. She just did it of her own volition, dude. That kind of self learning, self improving instinct is why she's gotten as good as she is, and why she will continue to put a, a gap on her competitors, so to speak. Hurt my back deadlifting. Uh oh. I know you said just don't be stupid, but I'm an MMA fan. It's hard to tell when I'm pushing myself too much. Well, without seeing where you injured and how badly you injured, I am loath to prescribe any kind of change ultimately, except to tell you, um, I don't know what to tell you, dude. People's like, oh, I fucked up my back deadlifting. How? 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 What did you do? What, what part of your back did you fuck up? Like, is this a recurring injury? Is this an old one? Is this a new one? Uh, were you, like, what was wrong with your mechanics? Blah, blah, blah. What I would tell you is, um, how about this? Alan Thrall. First of all, if you need to go see a doctor, go see a doctor. But short of that, Alan Thrall at Untamed Strength on his channel, his YouTube channel, has a whole video about what to do when you tweak your back on the deadlift and, like, what kind of response you should have. And his short answer is, Obviously, if it's bad enough, you please go see a medical professional to get, you know, this thing looked at. But if it's just a tweak where you kind of pulled it, sometimes you get like a knot in your back. It can hurt quite severely, but you're not actually super banged up. Staying in the gym and then lightly working through it so you get back to a stage where you can get back to lifting versus just taking all this time off is a much better option. So only you can answer this question. I cannot possibly answer it for you without better information. Please see a medical professional if that's what you need to do. If it's something short of that, go check out his video. On top of the lopsided matchup, Sexy Yama only had two weeks notice. 
Also, you should DM Akiyama to get him to hook you up with his chicken and broccoli guy. Dude, Akiyama's chicken and broccoli guy is fucking incredible. Akiyama, I mean, his skin might look like leather, but my man is fucking yoked, is he not? Fucking yoked. I'm going to Rio soon. What's your ethics, ethicals view of visiting? Okay. What is your ethical view of visiting? It's not approvished. It's improvished communities of favela. I'm conflicted about it being perceived as slum tourism. So that's an interesting one. I've not been to Medellin, Colombia, for example, but you can go to Comuna 13, which is um, essentially sort of the heart of like Pablo Escobar uh, support and essentially where he grew up. And you can see, um, you can do tours through there. Now, they've put different parts in there on purpose to facilitate tourism. Um, I would say going through favelas and gawking at them is not something I would probably do. If there is a way to get money to the favelas by people involved in those communities that aren't exploiting them as well, that are actually people involved in there, like some kind of school, and you can take a tour of the school, um, you can give money to any kind of after school club and they can give you, they can give you a tour and kind of take you around. Those kinds of things are probably okay. Um, but you know, Hey, this is a dangerous area that was shown in like, you know, a famous movie or something. And that there's somebody who's taking you through in like broad daylight hours. They don't live in this place. They're just making the money off of it. I would not do something like that. I would not give money to somebody like that, but seeing a place on its own terms putting money into it by people who are actually living and trying to hold these places together. I don't really see the problem with that. So such as you can find them. <laughs> Christian writes, I'm smoking weed for the first time in almost a decade. I couldn't believe how easy it was to walk into a dispo and buy whatever I wanted. Yeah, it's fucking great. It's fucking great. It's amazing. I've got a weed card and everything here in DC. It's tremendous. There's limits on anything about where you can use it. There's limits about how much you can buy in a month, and at least here in D.C. But, uh, yeah, dude, it's unbelievable. And people are like, oh, the weed is stronger. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's, it, does, it does the trick. Your boy loves it. I'm not one of these types. I've seen people being like, oh, I smoke jujitsu and then roll. Or I've even seen I smoke. Or I, or I smoke. I smoke weed and roll jujitsu. Or I smoke and then I go lift weights. I'm not that guy. No. That doesn't work for me at all. Oh, you need the right strain. No, I don't. No, I don't. It doesn't work for me. If it works for you, that's great. I'm not here to tell you how to live. Doesn't do shit for me. But in terms of my sleep, in terms of my just daily enjoyment, in terms of my ability to have a good laugh, anything, it has been a game changer for me. How many people in the top 15 does Connor beat at 155? All right, let's take a look at the top 15. Let's see. All right, top 15 at 155. Drew Dober, I'd say he beats him. Bobby Green, I'd say he beats him. Moicano, same. Benoit Saint-Denis, bit of a wild card. Rafael Dos Anjos, probably at this stage. Dan Hooker, yes. Jalen Turner, I don't know. Fazeev, I don't know. Dariush, because he, he coming off two losses like that, maybe at this point. But then it gets Gamrot, Chandler, maybe. Chandler's a little bit older. Soryuki and Poirier, 
is a maybe on there. Gaethje's a maybe. And then Oliveira, I would not. Um, half at least. Half at least. Why do the UFC keep announcing unsigned fights? Guys, it's a great question. That's a, somebody should ask them at the next presser. Somebody should ask them, guys, why do you keep announcing shit and then selling tickets against it? Here's the one thing. I actually don't mind if they... I'm not saying I don't mind. It's obviously not as big a deal if you just announced it and tickets aren't on sale for like several weeks or something. You know, because you like have this great expectation that it will go through and then for some reason it just doesn't at the last minute. But like... When tickets are already on sale and then you're announcing it and you're putting out social graphics about it and people are buying tickets against that information, there's a word for that. There's a word for that. Thoughts on football fans using the word we when referring to their favorite NFL team. We just won the NFC Championship. The team you support won. You had zero contribution to the game. Hey, let let the dorks live. All right. Yes, of course. They did nothing other than just fucking watch. Right? Maybe bought some merch, whatever. Let these people live. Will you? I understand that like it's annoying to hear that cuz like you what do you have to do with Patrick Mahomes? You're just some fat loser sitting on the couch. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I get that. Let people live. Let this man this you know how much the people who say we especially when their team wins, do you know how much enjoyment they get and how much how little enjoyment they get from anything else? Just let them have it. Let them have it. I understand it's silly, but let them have it. Luke, I'm planning to propose to my girlfriend on Valentine's Day and want to know if you had any advice or, or for proposals slash marriages. Well, let's stick to just proposals. Do I have any advice? Um, do it with confidence, my guy. Do it with confidence. Obviously, you have to have some humility because... Who knows what she's going to say, but you should walk in there very far. Not, I mean, not like, you know, not like you're going to bang every woman in the room exactly, but, you know, a certain amount of swagger, a certain amount of confidence and execute on that confidence, even if you're faking it, execute on it. It will look much better than if it's sort of a sheepish kind of thing, fucking execute on it. Also, please don't do it in a restaurant where the rest of the restaurant is now obligated to clap for you. Do that shit in a place that's like at least semi-private. Right? Please don't make the chef have to leave the line to come, like, congratulate you and shit like that. Don't make strangers applaud you. If it's about you and her, or whoever it is, you and him, then make it about that. The only person who was visible when I proposed to my wife was her mother-in-law, or my mother-in-law, her mom. That's it. Dustin says, fight is on now. Just tweeted it a minute ago saying he jumped the gun. Diddy. Diddy. Also, what happened to Brady versus Luke? I mean, you know, it's hardly the first time that they've announced a fight like that, but what are you going to do? If you, if you experience... Oh, wait, wait, wait. No question. Just showing uh, my appreciation for your insights and analysis. Thank you, North Battlefield Te Taekwondo Academy. Thank you. If you could experience one past era of combat sport, yes, it would be the era of Ali. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, there's just no question. I mean, yeah, simple, very simple. I lived through, I, dude. I lived through Mike Tyson. I lived through Hagler and, and Ray Leonard. I lived through that. I didn't live through Ali's greatest you know, greatness. You know. Not sure if you've been to Vegas lately. I haven't been since uh, October. Whenever what, what, September. When was Canelo Charlo? September. 
But what do you think of the sphere? It looks cool as shit. I think it's one of the creepiest things I've ever seen. I mean, dude, Vegas is great for big parties, big events, um, big destination stuff. I would never want to live in that city, but it's got a lot of charm in the, or at least value in that sense. And the sphere is kind of cool. It is an interesting thing to see. I was there when it was uh, March Madness, right? Because I was that. When was that? What fight was I there for? I forget which fight I was there for. It was it was March Madness, and they turned the sphere into a giant basketball. It looks weird. It looks weird. It's it's really cool, but it's you know, yeah. Saw you shout out a separation to the Donkosphere. Yes. Ever get to the White Ribbon? Not yet. Also tell BC to watch Good Time by Uncut Gems people, but 50 times better. Good Time. All right. I will do so. Thank you for the uh, donation and thank you for the recommendation. Um, I, I finished The Creator. I think I told you guys that. I finished The Creator. It's okay. It's Is Shapiro's new rap song? Oh, fuck me. Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> No, no, it would not be. It would not be. Um, I got to tell you, like, I don't really want to hear him at all, but especially not in my rap, you know, like, again, it's just like how much of your life has to be devoted to your particular contribution to the culture wars before you realize like it's a fucking, it's just, a, just no, no is the answer. No, mm. No, it would not be in rotation at all. No. Uh, is it in the realm of possibilities for you to interview Poirier? That would be a fire. I mean, I've interviewed him a million times. Have you ever thought about interviews in a live chat format? I've done those. I've done those. Yeah. Uh, super chat question. Uh, do you think the UFC waits to announce a Connor fight until the after the lawsuit kicks off? What would be the thinking there? Why would you do that? Why would you wait? Um, it's expected to take a month. So that means it would be mid-May before you reach some kind of resolution in all likelihood. What would doing what, what advantage would that confer? I guess I don't understand what advantage that would confer. Luke Connor has only two fights left of his contract. He seems to want to fight soon. Is it possible that they want him to sign a new contract before offering him a fight at 300, for example? It is entirely possible, yes. Um, again, I'm asking me to speculate, so that's all that I'm doing, but would not in any way surprise me. Now, you're not a fan of pro wrestling, but what are your thoughts on Vince McMahon's situation and even Brock Lesnar? We did, we did talk a little bit about this on MK. Crazy, disgusting, and just sad. Did you do you see Netflix and Endeavor cutting all ties with WWE? Fuck no, fuck no, no, dude. They just signed a massive deal. Netflix. Um, and if you guys haven't paid attention to streaming, Netflix is like your runaway winner. Everyone, I mean, uh, Amazon is doing okay, um, and everyone else is in sort of in various spots therein. But Netflix is your big winner. I've said this before. I, I listened to some kind of podcast with an analyst, and he was saying. There's been shows that have been on, um, like HBO Max or Max, whatever they're calling it, that they were on there the whole time and were not hits. And then they got put on either like Max sold them or the rights holders changed and they got put on Netflix and then they instantly turn into hits. People are watching Netflix, bro. So, um, you know, they cut ties with Vince very quickly. I think that... Netflix is probably satisfied with it. There is no fucking way Endeavor would ever want to like cut ties. 
it's like only if Vince stayed and had some power to make it him versus WME or him versus Netflix, which this is not really in any way about. The only thing that sort of stood out to me was one. Honestly, I I, I know that the story is once the the the, the sponsors began to withdraw, everyone was like, "Holy fucking shit!" You know. And that's what caused them to ultimately sever ties with Vince. I was kind of surprised that they did it at the speed that they did it with, I'll be honest with you. And then I think the other part I would say is, um, I wonder if it's permanent. I don't know if it's permanent, you know? Um, People think that it is. I don't know that it is. I don't know that it is at all. He didn't say, I'm never coming back. If there's a way to fight the allegations in court and win, potentially, or at a bare minimum, just do some kind of a PR job to make people think differently, yeah. Yeah, I would imagine that um, he could come back. Let's see. Thank you, sir. Finkster1229. How does 298 stack up for you compared to 299? The 298 main card is very, very exciting, and it seems to be going under the radar with 300 mania. All right, let's see 298. Let's see 298. Let's go to Tapology. That's my database of choice. I don't know how you guys feel about that. Let's take a look at it here. Oops, hold on. There. Oops, Jesus fucking hell. I mean, come on. Just making money off my... All right. Uh, you see, you got Volk Teporia, Whitaker Costa, Marab and Henry. That's a big one. Jeff and uh, Ian Gary. Fluffy versus Roman Kapilov. That fight's awesome. Uh, let's see, the Lima versus Tafa. That's whatever. Uh, Zhang versus Hibero, it's whatever. Andrea Lee versus Miranda Mavic, that's okay. Val Woodburn versus Oban Elliott, that's okay. Dobson uh, Gore, Quinlan Barlow, Lamos Dern, it's not bad. And then Nakamura versus Vera, not that great. I would say 299 is probably a lot better. The question you had asked was what? Main, oh, the main card is is very, very exciting. Yes, the main card is very good. The overall card is whatever. She's been going in the radar with 300 Mania. Yeah, yeah, the main card is excellent. Mm-hmm. Very good. Who the hell is funding the class action lawsuit? Um, the law firm that is running it, I guess. I mean, are you are you suggesting that there is some kind of like Peter Thiel esque financial backer? There is not. There is not. Also, I suspect that they might sue for to get their costs paid for, but we'll see. Toronto fan horrified by the Strickland shit show. This person writes left feeling dirty as a UFC fan, and I'm not alone. I don't bring this up because people, I'm sure, in some ways don't want to hear this, but this is a very true statement I'm telling you. Last week, I maybe got one to two emails a day from people saying that they were done being fans. A day. I usually get one of those a week. There was a day I got three of those. Like, I could, they just, they send them to me for whatever reason. I got a shitload of those last week. A bunch. A bunch. I couldn't believe it. Anyway, getting back to the question. Once the Disney deal is up, where is growth going to come from when pay-per-view revenue is central? People keep talking about like maximum growth. I don't know if you can really get much bigger in America. Of course you can with like a transcendent superstar, but the sport is basically where it is. It will have fluctuations higher or lower, but it will exist at the place that it is. The real growth will become in any potential growth of overseas markets, I believe. Um, and then the next superstar, whoever that ends up being and when that ever happens. But like the, the core state of the sport has basically maxed out its popularity potential. There's not really places to go. Uh, now, I, again, I mean, perhaps I can correct that. If the WWE deal goes well, 
and Netflix wants to get involved in UFC, that might be really amazing. But in general, if they stay with the more or less similar parties, there is no real growth that's a game-changing kind that you're describing. Platinum Mike Perry versus Conor McGregor in a special BKFC crossover main event. Is it even remotely possible? No. Um, does Hillel Nur's testimony to, uh, excuse me, of UNWRA's involvement in October 7th change your perspective on the current conflict or at least of the fault and intent? Um, so there was an acclaim that you had about a dozen of those employees that were involved with Hamas uh, out of like, what, 30,000 30, employees? No, I think tens of thousands of employees. You have a very small amount. Uh, the people who were behind that claim, a group called Zaka, have now, um, and there's some Israeli, apparently Israeli intelligence to this effect, but they have now dialed it down to six people, not 12 or 13. Uh, and virtually all of the claims that they have made that justify what they say is true about these people have been unsubstantiated. So I'm going to reserve my judgment until there is either full confirmation or full um not denial per se, but full proof that those claims are fraudulent. But um, again, I'm basically unmoved by the idea that a handful of employees may or may not have been assisting in gruesome acts with Hamas. I don't think that that really changes the scope of what that organization does um, or who they are. And I especially don't think it's true. I mean, Norman Finkelstein has argued it'd be a miracle if, there, if there were, that was only the people who were employed by Hamas. Um, I don't know if I take that route necessarily, but what I would say is um, um, it'd be one thing to shut the pipeline of them off, provided you had another aid ag or agency who was providing the services that they, that they were to Gazans, but you're not. Um, they are down to drinking seawater and eating grass. Um, I think it's basically just retaliation to the ICJ, to be perfectly honest with you. That's my personal opinion. I don't really, I, we shall see. We shall see. I want to see what they can or can't corroborate, but my hunch is that it's just retribution from the, uh, the powers that be for the ICJ. What do you think are some of the best MMA prospects out of DC currently? You know, I don't know, excluding SUNY and Justin, since they already have gotten, pro and big organization debuts i i'm not up to date on i know some of the boxers actually scooter davis being one of them i don't really know a lot about some of the up-and-coming prospects out of dc unfortunately the best place to watch that is cage zilla um cage zilla is a promotion out of manassas virginia and they do a lot of pro-am shows and you can really see who the prospects are for the region coming out of there a lot of good fighters have come out of there but i've just not been able to keep up with them unfortunately it is a bit of a blind spot for me if i can be honest Shout you out from Newfoundland, Canada. Please pronounce it right, MF, for Shakes, Fist, like Homer Simpson. Newfoundland, right? Isn't that how you say it? Not Newfoundland, Newfoundland? I could be wrong. Look, what do you think of the photo of Dave Feldman from BKFC meeting with Dana? Yeah, I don't think much about it. I mean, maybe they'll end up on Fight Pass, but Triller bought them, so that's not really possible. I guess unless they want to get involved with Triller or sell a different stake to them. There might be some kind of crossover talent because remember BKFC and Bellator had one. That's how Michael Venom Page ended up fighting Mike Perry. There might be something along those lines. You might get an exciting fight out of that. But do I think it's some kind of like industry-shaking kind of thing? No, I don't. Uh, what do you attribute the fast rise of MMA journalists like Nina to? I would not call her a journalist. I'm not, I'm not even trying to like start a problem or be like disparaging. I'm really not. I don't call myself a journalist. But I don't, not a journalist. 
Uh, would you agree that's a prime example of MMA media becoming increasingly watered down and a little more than a mouthpiece for the UFC? I mean, uh, I don't watch enough of her content to really get a clear sense of its strengths and its weaknesses. Um, that's probably a, f a better question for somebody else. I don't get the sense that it is very interested in fact-finding or ever, you know, holding power to account. Um, I don't think that's one of its strengths. I don't think that's the reason people go to her, from what I can tell. Uh, I would say, though, that there's one thing that to really think about is, one, like the media policies that the UFC has fostered over the years, I think, have created an environment where somebody like her was, frankly, inevitable. And also, I do sort of get the appeal a little bit. Uh, first of all, you, there's like no young women in the field at all. So like to the extent you have one, no matter what she's doing, she's going to stand out. But more than that, forget all that. You've got people like me and people like Ariel, guys who are we're dads, we're in our 40s. We have a lot of negative things to say about the way the business is structured and how unfair it is. And here comes somebody else who is kind of the opposite of that. They're younger than us. They're obviously different uh, gender than us. They're different generation than us. And unlike me and Ariel, who might be like, oh, I know the common criticism is like, oh, these guys are grumpy all the time. And it's like, my argument would be like, if you see how the sausage is made, you have to be kind of a fucking idiot to not be that. But putting that aside, it takes a while to, for people to really accept the truth of this sometimes, which we've also kind of realized. But pivoting away from that, like if you were trying to do something not like us, what would you do? You would make, you would make something like her strategy from what I can tell, which would be Dude, she's happy about the product all the time. Like, happy to talk to this person no matter what. Happy to not be bothered by certain topics. Happy to, you know, happy to be there at the apex. Not worried about what the fighter pay conversation is. Not worried about, you know, the uh, whatever. Like, if we're the grumpy side of things, this is the opposite. And there's a huge market for that. There's a huge market for that. Um, so, frankly, I think that to some extent given the way in which the UFC has treated and cultivated the media environment around them and in the way in which we have naturally responded to that, we have helped create a situation like this. Um, and there is, there is appetite for it quite clearly. You know, she obviously does incredible numbers. So, um, I sort of see it as like, you know, <laughs> uh, the bizarro world of, uh, like the opposite of the world that me and Ariel and other folks like us sort of tend to see. Um, and I get that. I really get that, dude. Like, I, I get it. Like, do you always want, don't, don't you want someone who is facilitating the connection you have to a product? Don't you want them to be like super excited all the time? Wouldn't that be great? People love a smiling person more than they don't or more than the opposite. Like, of course that is true. Um, there, people are going to want that. They're not, I mean, people are like, you know what? I don't really, I've seen this. I'm so, you know, the fighters, they, 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 they shouldn't get paid that much more. And who really gives a fuck? I'm here to talk about the fights. I'm here to talk about the fights. And, you know, now it's kind of gotten into, I'm here to talk about the fights, plus my favorite fighters, political talking points like that has now been added on, but that's not really impeding any of that side of the thing as well. But I, I sort of, I do, I, I really, I get it to be honest. I sort of get it. I, I, I can't change who I am. I could try and make my product in certain ways more palatable and make the work that I do more palatable. I think that you always have to con be concerned about that. But to me, she is, again, from what I can tell, and perhaps you guys could know this better than I would, but from what I can tell, she is, and I'm not saying she designed it this way. I don't I don't know that. But it almost feels like, is perhaps a better way to put it, like it's a response to what the MMA media is, uh, or, or I should say has been. And it's a new spinning forward where you're like, yeah, you're not really holding power to account, but 
the good side is you're really enthusiastic about the product and that facilitates a lot of excitement and generates a lot of interest. I, I, I sort of get that. How are you enjoying the episode, well, the one episode of MK a week? It's been like weaning off of a drug for the donks. I'm enjoying some free time, yeah. We got some stuff for you, though, so just stay tuned. Thank you, Luke. Let you know I'm having my unhealthy lunch of Little Caesars and Cherry Pepsi. My man, what are we doing? Little Caesars and Cherry Pepsi. I mean, you just might be eating out of the garbage at that point. Out of all the people, why does the UFC insist on making Sean a star? I think you mean Strickland. Dude, people, there's a market for him. You can like that fact or you can hate that fact. There's a market for him. He says, this person writes, he's a clown with the personality of a potato. Fighters like Corey are more interesting. Guys, here's the best part about the culture wars. You don't have to have a personality. I'm not saying that Sean's is or isn't. That's his opinion. But what I am saying is if you have strong allegiance and outward showing of where you stand in the culture war, right? If that's a thing that matters to you. You don't have to have an interesting personality. That's all you, I mean, I would argue that you still do for other things, but in terms of like gaining an audience, you don't have to. Allegiance in a proud, direct, almost loud kind of way is a substitute for that. I'm not even going to read the name of this band because I don't know if someone's doing some kind of racial slur, but I will look into it. Thank you, Austin. Uh, some uh, poll time. Better 300 main event. Izzy versus Alex, 3 or 5 at 2 or 5. 39%. Izzy versus DDP, 61%. Ooh, interesting. I thought it'd be more split. Hmm, interesting. What's your go-to dish you bring to a potluck dinner? I've never if I've been to a potluck dinner. Um... Okay, last time I went to something kind of like that, uh, my wife and I together made, you have to make it, right? If you're going to go to a potluck, you got to make it. I mean, I guess you can go and just buy shit at Whole Foods, but if you're going to make it, we make um, we make tostones, patacon, basically, um, and then we put um, ropa vieja on top of it. So like shredded beef stewed in like tomato on top of these fried plantain, like almost like a... Cakes, so not cake is not the right word, but you know, smushed fried pieces basically. Maybe a loaded question, but what would have to change for you to be proud of our government? And so, what, we, I, what kind of a question is that? Yeah, they'd have to stop doing horrible shit. Um, I, I I don't I don't need to be proud of the government to be honest with you. I, you I, I don't I don't need to have that relationship to my government, but I want to have a relationship where um, I can reasonably trust them to do a competent job. That's really I'm not asking for much more than that. I'm not asking for like glory or fucking, you know. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm not I don't have any illusions about it in that sense. I don't have any desire to have like an emotional connection. To the government, the government is a very technocratic, bureaucratic um, apparatus that needs to be run by people who can competently pull the different levers of it in a way that actually services the tasks it is charged with and the needs of the people. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I neither desire nor need not a single thing more than that, which by the way is very difficult for them to provide, it, it turns out here anyway. Thank you, Wesley. I heard there are rumors of Connor versus Nate three for UFC 300. Heard that. Every time I have heard that, I've looked into it and I've had cold water thrown on it. Um, 
So yeah, thoughts on if possible or its likelihood. I don't think it's impossible the way the way it's been explained to me. I don't think it's impossible. I just don't see it as likely. Yeah, that's the way it's been explained to me. My point on Norse testimony is it implicates 6,000 employees total. Yeah, there needs to be evidence for that kind of a claim. That's a big claim that has, to this point, gone evidence-free. Telegram account found confirming each member of Public Info 6 to 12 in person October 7th. I don't believe that's been independently corroborated. To the extent that it is, it would certainly change the conversation. Uh, I, I, I grant as much. Um, yes, it would absolutely change the conversation with independent verification. To my knowledge, that has not been independently verified. Uh, and then lastly, I was talking about O'Malley. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> All right. Okay. Here's another case. Sean Strickland or Sean O'Malley. It doesn't matter. Sean O'Malley's like the way in which he goes through the world is not the way in which I would go through the world. But it does seem like there's a group of folks that do like him. I mean, whether he's a superstar is a different matter. I, I, you could certainly debate that. But... Um, you got to be real careful about like, oh, someone from, you know, especially if you're older being like, oh, this person from a different younger, much younger group is acting in a way that seems totally anathema to the way that which we did things. Yeah. Because it's not about you. It's not for you. It's not your generation. It doesn't matter what you like. I don't know if that's exactly what your criticism is or your, your observation, but that's what I would say. Um, but the other part is like, unless it was like a black hole of personality where you could tell it was like driving away people left and right. I tend to be like the guy like policing, policing um, people's personality. Got to leave that for the most part alone. Uh, at least in at least in any kind of professional context, like you don't have to like it as a person, but like, is it bad or good for business? There's lots of different kinds that can be good for business. Lots of different kinds. All right, last one. To be honest, this person says, I don't really want to see Izzy in the main event at all. Yeah, there's that too. The poll question was merely about, given the choice of it being one or the other, which one do you like? But we shall see. Okay. Um, thank you guys for, for contributing. If you got any feedback about what kind of stuff you want to see this month and beyond, LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. We are listening. We are listening. I really appreciate it. Thank you guys so much for watching. Uh, you guys know the drill podcast either out tonight or first thing tomorrow morning and then the whole nine yards. Thank you guys. We're out of here. And until next time, stay frosty, bitches.